This broadcast is part of the IC Robots Radio Network. Visit icrobots.com for this and many other nerd slash nostalgia related podcasts. You won't be sorry for long. Recorded live on Jupiter's third largest moon, Callisto. Yo, he's in the house now. Dudes with ice grills raise their eyebrow, amazed like, wow, he's your host, Icy Robots. Greetings, Earth people. I am from Jupiter. It is me again, Icy Robots. I am not a hero, but I do sacrifice a bit of my week each and every week to make your week a bit less weak. And this week, it is going to get so less weak. We're going to talk about two movies I saw. We're going to talk about a con I went to. It was called, uh... It was called SatCon. We're going to talk about this. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about some TV shows. We're going to talk about some toys. All sorts of fun stuff. It's going to be a great show. You're going to have a good time. I guarantee it. All right, now, hit it. You do it for the fame. We do it for the cause. That's why we're real living and you're just Mr. Movie Montage. Some things got to change with eight or more pods that all sound the same with the same game like they all in the same gang. Suicide victims quick to jump off and scream. I have to die, I'm living a lie. Fake MCs, no heart, get torn apart. Messing with us in 2018, get smart. This is the Toys R Us report with IC Robots. You better recognise... Yeah, that would be cool. Some recognition would be cool. I feel like we do all right. We do all right in the recognition department. And as far as like eight or more pods that all sound the same, to be perfectly honest, if any other pod sounds like me, I take that as I take that as the highest form of flattery. It means it means they like what we do. And since I you know I like how we sound here, if it sounds like me, maybe I'll like it. I'll check it out. I don't know. I there's no such thing. As gimmick infringement. That's what I heard. That's what I heard a wise man say once. It's it means that once you put something out there into the universe, it sort of sort of belongs to the universe. I I like to come up with original ideas, but all original ideas are still somewhat based in ideas that already exist. I guess what I mean to say is there there are no original ideas at this point. No such thing as gimmick infringement. Once you give it out there, it's out there, man. Anyone can anyone can do what what they want with it. You guys, you guys know that I I got this this new TV. I told this uh I told the story about um how we got it at Best Buy and how there were bricks in it. This was this was a few weeks back. It's it's a cool TV. I like it. I like the way it looks. I I like the way that it works, but it is it's only Wi-Fi enabled and I 
I myself, if at all possible, on a device that I use a lot, I, I prefer a corded, a corded connection. I want the, I want the certainty. I want it to work good. Like the, the Roku I have out there, I want it to stream well. So I, I ran the house. I went under the house. I ran a cable and it works great. But the TV doesn't have an Ethernet port. It's only, it's only Wi-Fi and it, the, the connection out to the living room isn't isn't that great it's fine you know for the phone or for the tablet or things like that but when it's when it's like a big image transferring across the house on the wi-fi it's it's hit or miss sometimes it works amazingly well but if somebody's doing something else on it or whatever it's not it's not incredibly dependable and the tv has a red light on it and if the connection to the network goes out the red light, the red light blinks and it's in the, it's in the lower left hand of the TV and it's, it's pretty big. It is also, it doubles as the remote sensor. It's, it's fairly large and it blinks whenever it loses the connection to the network. And then when the network comes back, you know, it stops, it stops blinking. And this is, this is driving, it's driving me bananas. We have, we have some workarounds that we're we're looking at like we have a uh, we have a dongle that goes from USB to ethernet we're thinking we're thinking this might work but it's been it's been fine lately so i haven't i haven't really been thinking about this problem but the the light blinks and when when it happens it it drives me it drives me bananas it drives me ape seeing it seeing it down there it's it's stressful for some reason to me to to see this light blinking and if it was if it was like a small little light that would be one thing and I think that I could block it out but it's it's pretty big it's over an inch and you see it at the bottom of the TV and I if it's going off I I catch it I catch it with my eye it it drives me crazy and I'm sitting there one day and we're watching I think we're watching black lightning and it goes out and for whatever reason it's not connecting to the network again like it's going for like a minute two minutes and I'm watching it blink. I'm watching it blink and it's, it's driving me crazy. I want it to just, I want it to stop. I don't know if it's, I don't know if it's the visual distraction of seeing the light or if it's the, it's the mentalness of knowing that something's not working right. Like when you're, when you're in the whip and you hear some weird, you hear some weird sound and it may not be a big deal, but still it's something not working right. And you want it to work, work right. I want the, I want the Wi-Fi to stay connected. I want an ethernet port, but I don't have that. And it goes in and out every once in a while and it, it bugs me. And I'm sitting there and it's bugging me and I look over to the wife and I go, that light's driving me crazy. And she goes, what light? And I go, that light down there on the left. And she's she's on the left side. So it's even more in her line of sight. And I go, that one right under the TV that's blinking. And she goes, I didn't even notice. And I go, are you serious? I'm like, you really... You didn't see it. You didn't see it at all. She's like, no, I'm watching. I'm watching the show. I my eyes are on the show. I didn't. I didn't see it at all. And that was that was amazing to me. It was this just this look into uh, this, this look into how how the the two of us differ. And this was interesting to me because she seems like I'm not going to say she seems like she is a happier person, but she is. She's always on the happy tip. No matter what goes on, she's always in a good mood. She is always in a great mood. And I myself, you know, I suffer from occasional dark moods like we all do. But she seems above, above the dark mood. You know, she has her moments. She's, she's like everyone else. But 
she is by and large just very, very happy with everything. And she should be happy with everything. We have everything great. Our lives are great. I'm very pleased with how things are. But everyone said, again, something like the this blinking light will get to me. And for her, it's like the blinking light doesn't even exist. It doesn't even exist. She doesn't see it. And that uh, that ability to look past the small things, I think, is what is leading to to her happiness, and that's kind of that's kind of where I was going with this. I think that a, a a key to happiness is overlooking the small things. Now, that doesn't mean to say that you should ignore things that could lead to bigger things. Like if you if you get a weird growth, you know, and it doesn't really hurt or anything, but it's something you should get look at, and it could lead to worse things. You know, you don't want to you don't want to like swat those things off your shoulder, but I think by and large, the ability to look past the small things that don't mean anything are the key to happiness. Because eventually the light's going to stop blinking. It's going to connect to the network. It's not a big deal. And even if it's not connected to the network, you're not watching the network. So it's not a big deal. But still, though, it's hard to it's hard to look past these small things. And I'm sure we all have like these. I'm sure we all have these blinking lights in our life, you know, that that we just we just can't look past. I don't know why I'm dwelling on this for so long, but I'm. Um, it feels like a great insight into into how to achieve how to achieve happiness, and that's you know that should be something that we're all we're all out there you know reaching for and, and striving. I think happiness happiness is something that has to be achieved. I don't believe it's a natural state for for some people. I think for I think for some of us out there, it's something we have to strive for. And I realize I you know I've spent the last what is it like eight minutes talking about the the idea that you shouldn't sweat the small stuff. I know that this is out there, but uh, sometimes it's like you have to, you have to live it yourself. You have to get some like real life example before something that's clearly obvious makes sense. And I'm hoping that by, by sharing my example, maybe this will, maybe this will be something that you can integrate, integrate into your, your day to day, your day to day, your day to day, day to day. And uh, I, I feel super bad because I forgot to say a uh, big shout out to Engineer Emily and the Ensign over in Pod B for that. That fun take on rap is still out of control. That is that is the updated version of Rap is Out of Control by EPMD. I love EPMD so much. They they are in such such high regard here on the on the good old the good old Jupiter Moon base. I was finally able to get up here. It's been. It's been a while. We had a uh, we had a surgery in the family, and I've been been on the caretaker tip, and that um that's a difficult difficult tip to be on. It was it was nothing major. Don't worry, nothing nothing of the life threatening variety by any means. But anytime you get to surgical, you know it's it's a strain on the it's a strain on the body. You know there's a lot of a lot of recovering. You got to think. You got to think what you're going through, and I'm trying to be a sympathetic dude, trying to be, trying to be all that I can be, you know, trying to um to help out as much as I can. But being on that tip, you know, that's that's a difficult road. You got to give it up to these medical professionals, these people who, these people who do it for us, do it for us all the time. It's it's been a while since I've been up here. You know, I've been down there, been down there on Earth Base, watching that new TV, being on a being on medical leave. I haven't had as many opportunities as I would have. Would have liked to get you know to get up into the booth but um you know i was able to i was able to sneak away sneak away and do some stuff i've we've been out of the house you know we've been out we've done some stuff don't think that don't think that it's all you know just bed rest bed rest and recoup and there there've been some um you know some outings 
don't uh don't feel bad don't feel bad for me we went to the movies went to the movies twice you know that's uh that's a um you know low stress low stress activity let's uh let's talk about that a bit let's go into um you know at the movies <laughs> In a moment, at the movies, without Ebert, Siskel, or even that dude Roper. But you got Icy Robot, so that's something, right? You get the idea. You're looking for your lost dog spots. Does anybody know? No. no. Wherever he is, we'll find him. We're a pack of alpha dogs. You're Rex. I'm an indoor dog. Your king. Spots. He's nowhere around here. You're Duke. Or somebody spoke his language. Your boss. I think the little pilot's got a screw loose. I'm chief. Nobody's giving up around here ever. Wow. Pile of dogs. Rated PG-13. Isle of Dogs, I Love Dogs is, it's the latest from Wes Anderson. It's a, it's a stop motion movie, which is, which is something I like. I am a giant Wes Anderson film fan. I, I love Wes Anderson a lot. He did Rushmore, he did Bottle Rocket, he did Steve Zizou. If there has, if there's been an influence on what we do that's as big as Wes Anderson, I don't, I don't know, I don't know what it is. This is... This is basically Steve Zizou on a on the space station. As far as far as I'm concerned, the, the movie's rated PG-13. It runs for 101 minutes, and this was maybe the best movie that I have seen so far this year. I was I was so much looking forward to this. You guys, you guys know how much I love dogs. You know how much I like Wes Anderson. This was this was a combination of the two. Let's let's take a quick quick once over on the plot. In the stop-motion animated film from writer-director Wes Anderson, an outbreak of canine flu in Japan leads to all dogs being quarantined on an island. A boy journeys there to rescue his dog Spots and gets help from a pack of misfit canines who have also been exiled. His quest inspires a group of dog lovers to expose a government conspiracy. It is, it's a ton of fun. If you, if you like dogs, you definitely want to see this. If you're a dog lover, you gotta be there. But I will say it's a bit weird. All Wes Anderson movies are weird. And this one, this one is weird too. If you like the way that they are weird, then you will definitely, definitely love this. It was, it was so much fun. It starred Brian Cranston as the lead dog and... The the movie is set in Japan, as as I said a bit earlier, and one of the cool things they do is they don't they don't subtitle or translate a lot of a lot of the Japanese when when the young boy Atari is talking to is talking to Brian Cranston, the dog. It's it's in Japanese and there are no there are no subtitles. I like that. I myself thought it was thought it was kinda neat. It was almost like being in the mind of a dog. In, in a way, you are, you're hearing these words, you don't really know what they mean, you're, you're seeing his actions and the way that he's saying the words, but you're not really super sure exactly what they're saying. The, the important parts were, were translated for you. They, there were parts where Mayor Kobayashi, who was, um, he's the heel in, in the movie. He, he's the one that, um, he loves cats and he's the one who banned the dogs. He's part of the, the Kobayashi cat clan and, he uh, hates dogs, sends them away. He's the heel. When he says, when he says an important proclamation, like something that will 
something that you need to know, they they have like a translator who who reads it to you. But by and large, they don't translate a lot of it. That was that was an interesting idea to me, and I I did like it. I one of the things I love about Wes Anderson's work is there's just this super fine attention to detail in in every in every frame. And this movie this movie is no different. I think that it bears out multiple watchings in the future because there's so much going on in the background there's so many things so many just fine little details that that I want to know I want to know more about this movie was just terrific it was imaginative it was technically I believe that stop motion animation is just such a fine art that uh you got to respect the you got to respect the technical aspects of this film a lot of times when a movie has you know high special effects and you do have to consider stop motion animation as special effects when a movie when a movie's like by and large special effects you sometimes are you're sometimes missing out on the story level but this definitely did not have that it was one of the one of the advantages that an animated film sometimes has is they try to keep the story tighter you know they they're not just actors running around on the set everything has to be created and they the creation process is more intensive. So they, they keep everything tight. And this movie, it's definitely tight. It plays it plays real short, which is which is always nice to me. I don't wanna I don't wanna give a lot away. I just want you to know that if you like dogs, if you like dogs, if you're one of those guys, you you need to see this. It's a lot of fun. On on the good old fashioned source magazine Mike Meter, with five being an all time classic and one being a dud, I'm gonna go out there and I'm I'm gonna give Isle of Dogs a super solid 4.5 mics. 4.5 mics. A Quiet Place is a horror movie. It's a it's a spooky wookie monster fest, dude. It's it's a monster movie. It it's fun. It's different. The the basic plot of the thing is that the humankind is in ruins. We're we're pushed to the point of extinction by by some alien monsters that that hunt us by sound. They seem to be they seem to be undefeatable killing machines. And if and if they hear you, they find you and they tear you to shreds. The the movie, because of that, because of that rule, the rule of silence, is by and large a silent movie, except for except for the sound effects. There are there are only a few parts where where the characters speak. They they spend their time sneaking around and hiding and trying to be as quiet as possible the movie the movie stars uh what's his name jim jim from the office and emily blunt they are they're a married couple and they have they have some children that they have to protect with another with another one on the way i think that i'm not sure how long it is since the the invasion began it was something like 80 or 90 days and when you see when you see Emily Blunt is pregnant. At first, you're like, "How irresponsible!" But then, 
then you think maybe she was pregnant ahead of time. You know, maybe the invasion jumped off and she already she already had a bun in the in the oven. The the family survives by not making a peep, doing everything they can do to not make a peep. They have this they have this really neat cabin set up, and John um, Jim from the office has uh what is his name i always forget his name i watched i watched the office and john krasinski i kept thinking john krakauer but i think that's the guy who wrote into the wild the the book about the guy who goes out into the alaskan wilderness and um lives in a van and dies they made a movie about it the movie is pretty good it stars it stars emil hirsch if you get the chance to see that see that but um john john krasinski has this super elaborate setup and he it's uh, a setup of, what are they called? Ham radios. Like this really great ham radio setup. And he he's reaching out to other people, trying to communicate, trying to find other people. All the while trying to devise some way to, some way to defeat these, these invaders. I thought this was, I thought this was pretty good. I had been looking forward to this since I first started seeing, first started seeing the trailers. It, it seemed, it seemed really scary. I was, it was up in the air about whether the the wife was gonna was gonna go or not. She she'll go to see like a high end sort of scary movie like uh It Comes at Night or like a Green Room or Don't Breathe, you know. She'll see stuff like that, but we we mostly avoid the like the slasher ones or like the the ones with lots of ghosts and jump scares. I don't go for ghosts. I go for I go for like aliens and monsters or or like home invader type things like the purge we like the purge and it was up in the air whether she was going to go check this out but i pointed out I'm like this stars emily blunt and jim from the office and jim from the office wrote and directed it it can't be it can't be too scary and on top of that it's pg-13 when i first started seeing the trailers i i thought for sure that this would be rated r it seemed really really violent really scary really gory and then i saw that it was it was pg-13 i I myself, I, I avoid, I think, PG-13, PG-13 horror movies because I'm not, like, the biggest horror buff in the world. But if I go, I want to go all the way. You know, I want to see, I want it to be scary, I want it to be gross or whatever. I want the, I want the full horror effect. I don't want the watered-down PG, PG-13 horror effect. So I was, I was a little iffy when I saw that. I knew I was going to go see it, but I didn't know how good it would be, and it turned out that it's, um, it's really great. It, it has an interesting structure. It's almost like they go first act, and then the last two-thirds are the movie, of the movie, rather, are the third act, because it starts off, it kind of shows you what's going on, and then a tense moment happens, and you think, like, this is the tense moment in the middle, and then eventually they'll get to, like, the third act, big tense moment, but this tense moment takes the whole rest of the movie. It just ramps up. It, uh, it starts and gets worse and worse and worse and worse. Everything keeps getting worse. And that was a structure that made the movie play really fast. Like, it starts and it is just cooking. Also, it's only an hour and a half, which I, which I definitely appreciate. There are no wasted moments in this. It gets started, keeps going, goes and goes and goes, builds up, explodes and ends. I, I thought this was really good. Really good debut from John Krasinski. I've heard that his next project is going to be some kind of a sci-fi joint, and if it's if it's anything of the quality of this, I'm looking forward to it. I, I have never been, 
like a John Krasinski fan. I've seen The Office. I'm an Office fan. And I think of that show, Jim comes across like a real bully. He doesn't seem like a cool guy at all. He has that, he has that dumb face that he makes. He looks at the camera and he's like, er, making this, this stupid face. I knew that if I worked in The Office, I would not be friends with Jim. I don't know that I'd be enemies with Jim, but Jim does not, does not seem like the kind of guy that I want to hang out with. And even though Dwight's, Dwight's a lunatic too, Jim was, Jim was always bullying Dwight. They were always bullying each other back and forth. But I think that, I think that Jim was the worst of the two. Uh, I had to, at one point, separate John Krasinski from Jim. I was, I was telling this to, um, somebody and they're like, you know, they're different people. You know that Jim is just a character that was written that he played. He's not, he's not that guy. And I said, you know, you're right. You're right. Uh, I got to separate. So I was able to separate and watch this movie with, with like open eyes. And I'm like, you know what? John Krasinski is not bad. Jim is kind of a, kind of a jerk, but John, not that bad. And the movie has Emily Blunt, who is, she's always a delight. She's one of my faves. Um, so with all that said, I am going to go and on the good old fashioned source magazine, Mike meter, I am going to give a quiet place. 3.5 3. mics. mics. 3.5 mics. Tonight's program has been brought to you by Richer, Stronger Hills Brothers Coffee and New Instant Hills Brothers Coffee. The first instant coffee that smells like coffee. And Kellogg's Sugar Frosted Flakes. Kellogg's Special K for bodybuilding proteins. And Kellogg's Rice Krispies. Snap, crackle, and pop. This week we have something sort of interesting. Your boy, I see robots took a trip to a comic show. It was called Zack Con. He had a good time. I mean, I I mostly had fun. It was it was a trip fraught with peril. I I have kind of a I have a bummy knee. It's not it's not the worst thing in the world. We all we all have our our little foibles, you know. I I take a couple of ibuprofens and I'm I'm good to go. But I do have this this knee issue that occasionally flares up sometimes like you know when it rains out it gets it gets a bit stiff and it was it was a rainy weekend the weekend of SatCon and my my knee swole up and it it made for a a difficult trip I still I still wanted to go I enjoy SatCon it's a it's a mid-sized show it's not the biggest show in the world but it is it is pretty big and they they always get some interesting comic-related guests, and this year they were going to have Chris Claremont, who you might know. He he wrote the X Men for many many years. He wrote he wrote many of the important X Men sagas, like uh, God Loves, Man Kills. He wrote the he invented like a million characters on top of all this. He invented like Rogue, Mystique, Kitty Pride, Sabretooth, all. I'll talk all about him. I'll talk all about him later. But he was, he was the guest of honor and he was going to be doing a panel. And on top of doing a panel, he was going to be signing autographs for, for free. So I will not pass up a free autograph, especially if it's, uh, especially if it's from a legend, a legend of the game. And Chris, Chris Claremont is, he's definitely that. So I was, I was itching to go down there. I like to go to the, 
the panels of the of the comic writers. It's interesting to hear hear their takes on storytelling and their their uh, experiences in the business. But we'll get that in in a bit uh, a bit later down the line. We'll get to the we'll get to the panel. Sacramento is it's maybe two and a half three hours with traffic from where we are. It's not. It's not moons away, but then it's not it's not next door either. And when you've got like a bummy knee, you know, you wanna you wanna kinda keep it loose, I think. This is what I find. It gets stiff and then it gets worse. So you gotta you gotta get up and around as much as you can to kinda break up the stiffness and being in the car for that long, it's it's not that cool. By the time I get out when I have the the knee bumminess, it it's hard to get back, you know, back to ground zero again where I can walk around normally. And I was a little trepidatious about the trip, I have to admit. When I woke up, I was like, I'm not really sure I want to go. I can feel that my knee is swollen. And on top of, like, the ride, going to a con is a lot of walking around. You go around the dealer rooms, you know, a few times, and you walk to the various panels and all that stuff. But SACCON, as long as we've gone, has been held at this one this one building. It's like a it's a convention center in Sacramento, and they have ample free parking. That's one of the perks. Tickets to SACCON are only ten dollars, and they have ample parking. They have a giant parking lot. You can you can usually get somewhere near the building's in the center, and the parking lot goes all around it. And they have you know openings on all the sides, so you can usually find a parking spot. That is, that is fairly close, fairly easily. So, I was convinced to go. It didn't take a lot of convincing, but you know, the wife's like, it's no big deal. We'll park, like, we get really close. We'll just, you know, we'll pull in and we'll, we'll walk in. It's a short, short drive. I'll even drop you off at the door and meet you because the parking lot's not that far. And I'm like, it's all good. Let's go. So, we got there, and as we're as we're going there, I, I start looking up the directions, like the specificness in the in the Google Maps or whatever. And for the first time, I notice it's not the same building that it's always been in. They've actually moved to a building in the middle of downtown Sacramento. And when we got there, we discovered there's no parking. There's no parking lot. We had to park like I'm not even exaggerating, like a mile away. There was literally no parking. At all, except for like street parking in this area. And we had to park like, we had to park eons away. And I'm just like, this is great. Three hours in the car, mile walk on the knee. This is, this is going to be rough. But I'm like, just, you know, just suck it up because you're going to go. You're going to meet Chris Claremont. You're going to get, you're going to get your copy of New Mutants number one. That was the book I decided to get signed. You're going to get your copy of New Mutants number one signed. It's going to be great. Eventually, when you have something like a painful discomfort in the future, you forget you had the pain. You forget that your knee hurt. You forget you had a headache. All you remember is that you went to the show. You met Chris Claremont. You bought some stuff. You had a good time. So I said, this is just going to be in the future. You'll forget the knee. Don't even worry about it. Just just go do it. So we walked all the way there. And then when we got to the door, and I, I'm apologizing for complaining so much about this. I don't. I don't like to complain on the show. I'm just... It's mostly me being ill-prepared. If I would have looked up that it wasn't in the same building, I would have known. I didn't know. I didn't look it up to the last minute. I just assumed. Because, seriously, the last 10 SATCONs we've gone to have been in, been in the same building as they've always been in. So, we're walking to the building. And then when we get there, the line for tickets is, I'm not even kidding, it's wrapped around the building. You can buy your tickets in advance. And we consider that. I looked it up. I actually typed it in. But they have a $5 convenience fee on every ticket. So our four 
$10 tickets would have been, it was $65 because then there's another $5 fee on top of everything. And I'm like, forget that because every time we've gone, we bought our tickets at the door and the line is, it's pretty short. There are like multiple points of entry. So it's easy to get into the building. It's easy to get your ticket, easy to get in. But when we got to this new building, one point of entry, a couple cashiers, literally one doorman. There was one person taking tickets at the door. So we waited, we waited a good 45 minutes for tickets, right? And then when we got inside the building, it was another 30 minutes to get into into the con because there was only one poor lady taking tickets. And I hate to complain, I'm just using this to illustrate that by the time we got in the building, my knee had, my knee had turned to dust. My knee had blown up like a balloon, popped, and then, and then turned to dust. A, a big concern during all of this was that we were going to miss the Chris Claremont panel because, because it started promptly at one o'clock. And by the time we even arrived in Sacramento, it was already it was already 20 minutes to one that we had the lines and it was, it was past one before, before we even got in the building. And I'm, I'm sweating it, man, because this was, this was the reason that I decided I wanted to go. I'm like, I want to go see this panel. And I'm like, you're going to miss the whole, the whole stupid thing. And then when we got in, we discovered that he hadn't even started yet. The, the line for his autographs, he was signing autographs before the panel. The line was, it was insane. It was stretching like just down this way and around this way and back this way. And he was, he was trying to crank out as many of these as he could before he went, before he went on stage. So the panel started substantially late and I, I can appreciate that. He was trying to, he was trying to take care of the people who were in line. I get it. I get it. It's cool. It worked out for me because... Because I wasn't, I wasn't on time. So the first thing we did was we jammed over to the panel room and we're, we're sitting there and we're waiting and we're sitting there and waiting. And finally, finally he comes in and he, he was an older guy. He's in his seventies. He, he's wearing a vest. He has like a t-shirt and a vest. You know how dudes wear like a fishing vest with all the pockets. He's wearing one of those. He, he's bald on the top, hair on the side. He's wearing glasses and he, he leaned back. For a lot of the panel, he would he'd put his hands behind his head and he would lean back away from the microphone. So we weren't able to hear him that well. We could hear him. It was it was fine, but not as well as if he was, you know, blasting down into the into the microphone. I've I've seen a lot of these panels with Marvel writers. And one thing I note is they all seem very bitter toward their time at Marvel. Bitter, bitter may be too strong of a word in some of these circumstances. And I don't, I don't feel like Mr. Claremont was super bitter, but he did not have a lot of nice things to say about Marvel, like, like most of the other people who work there. Most of the, most of the beef is that, that Marvel doesn't like have the proper respect for their work. He told a story about making the God Love, Man Kills graphic novel and how, they they wanted like a 64-page book. I don't remember if that was the exact right number, but they wanted, let's say, a 64-page book, and he turned in like a 120-page, 120-page script because, you know, he thought that the the story had enough weight to carry 120 pages, and they were like, you know, what the heck? We didn't ask for this. We only have 64 pages, so they decided to squish it all down, and he was, he was very dissatisfied that this is what they what they did with his great work. And it is a great work. Heed me correct. It is a great work. But 
I am sort of of the tip that if the boss asks you for a 64-page script, you should try your best to deliver a 64-page script, especially when the book is already set. Like, it's probably been ordered ahead of time. You know, we're going to we're gonna send the printer 64 pages. That's how big the book's going to be. It's budgeted. If you, you know, you deliver something twice as big, albeit something brilliant that's twice as big, you can't really complain if they... If they give you the, that's not what I asked for. You know, if you, if you order something, you know, you order a burger and they give you a triple burger in return, while that may be more burger, it may be more burger than you wanted, you know, and that's not always a good thing. So he was, he was very angry about that. I wasn't very angry. That's taking it too far. He wasn't, he wasn't happy about, about that. He... He wasn't happy that he said that he would go to Marvel. He goes to Marvel frequently and he'll he'll shoot ideas at them. And he said that they'll he'll shoot an idea at them. They'll tell him, you know, we do like it, but no thanks. And then a few months later, that idea will come out written by somebody else. So he he accused Marvel of of stealing his pitch ideas and I, I tried to record a lot of the panel. I tried to see how much I can record because maybe I can put it on the show. But he wasn't he wasn't near the microphone, so I picked up a lot of background noise. I'm gonna I'm gonna pay play a small a small bit here where he talks about one of his one of his pitches for a Spider Man Spider Gwen crossover. It's it's not the greatest audio, but you can you can you can hear what he's saying. You just you kind of. You kind of hear the people in the back. Let me pop in the in the cassette. All right, here, here we go. Um, I came up with this pitch for Marvel last year, which hit me. It's like, wait, we've got this really cool Spider Gwen. Yeah. Well, Gwen Stacy is, you know, Gwen Stacy. So why don't they, you know? Peter, you're alive! Gwen, you're alive! Peter, you have spider powers? Gwen, you have spider powers! Wow! You know, it's like... That's makes him spider, baby. <laughs> and then... Miss Watson, you do not know me, perhaps. I am a friend of, of Pepaka. My name is Otto. I have for you what is called a proposition. And the next thing you see is Doc Watt. She's got six arms and she knows how to use them and she's really pissed because if she can't have her spider, nobody can have her spider. It was it was hard to make out some of that, but the basic idea was why don't they hook up Spider-Man and Spider-Gwen? Spider-Gwen is, this is, this is if I'm getting it all correctly, because I am not a Spider-Man expert. I don't presently read any Spider-Books, but I think that, I think there's something called the Spider-Verse, and it's like alternate infinite universes with um, different takes on Spider-Man, and one of them is one where Gwen Stacy becomes a Spider-Man, she becomes Spider-Gwen, I think that's what it is, so he has, like, a deal where he thinks that they should hook up and become, you know, like a crime-fighting duo, but I think the problem is Gwen Stacy's in another universe, I don't know how many appearances she's made in the, in the Marvel, um, you know, mainstream 616 universe, so 
I don't know. That might show Marvel that you're not really like paying that much attention to their present storylines. But at the same time, it's not like you can't bring Gwen Stacy to whatever universe you want. You you writer, you know, for sure you can you can do whatever you can do whatever you want. He also had Brent Anderson with him on the panel. That was the that was the voice that you heard say makes Spider Baby T is an artist. He worked with him on God Loves Man Kills and he he presently does Astro City, which I which I do enjoy. He was kind of a hippie guy. He seemed really good, you know, nice Nice, well-spirited dude. I've seen this guy before. He was at the at the last con I went to. He was signing books for the comic book Legal Defense Fund, which I which I thought was really neat. Um, so you know, Mr. Claremont, he went on and on. He he seemed like I don't I don't want to say I don't want to say anything negative, but he was like a, he seemed like a very nice person, like a very you know nice person to talk to. He wasn't mean spirited or anything. He was a bit self important. Would be. Maybe what I would say, but I also think that if you you do great things in life, you probably get a bit self-important. If you go to a show and there is like a mile-long line of people who are just dying to meet you, you might get you know you might get a little self-important. I don't know. I've seen I've seen a lot of people who are writers, professional writer types, who kind of kind of have this, this air of self-importance around them. But I definitely did enjoy the panel. I I learned a few things. I, I had a good time. So. After after that, we decided to go into the into the main vendor room. I I wanted the autograph. I wanted the Chris Claremont autograph. He was going to sign two for free, and I had my I had my New Mutants book. So I dipped back over after the panel. I got this. I got this out of order. We didn't go to the main vendor room first. We went we went to check on the line to see if maybe the the line had gotten shorter. And I looked, and the line had actually gotten longer. So we. We then decided to go into the main vendor room and look around there and then come back, you know, and get the autograph once once all the all the needs have been have been met. So we dipped in there and there's, you know, good like a few hundred, a few hundred uh, tables. And one thing I like about this show is it feels like things are priced to sell. Sometimes you go to cons and the prices are through the roof. This feels like a buyer's show, like people are. People want to sell their stuff. There's good bargains to be had if you if you poke around. So, you know, we're poking around. And I, this was the first place that I saw the the solo Star Wars figures. We weren't able to find them at my Target. Went to two Targets. Normally, you'd go to Forest Friday at Toys R Us, and they would be there. But we had to go to two Targets. Walmart couldn't find them because apparently they've all been bought out by the vendors because the show was full of solo figures. They had, I saw all the solo Star Wars Black. I saw Solo. I saw Lando, the whole bit. I'm, I'm not so much into the Star Wars Black as much as I am the three and three quarter inch. I didn't, I didn't see all of those. I imagine that they probably sold out again from the, from the vendors before I got there because all that were left were uh, Amelia Clark's character, the Khaleesi from Game of Thrones. I, I don't know her character's name in Solo, but she was the, she was the only Solo figure in the three and three quarter inch that I saw, that I saw frequently. What did, what did we get up on while we were there? Well, let me see if there were any interesting vendors that we could talk about. There was one fellow who had all sorts of Japanese toys. He had cool Japanese robots, all Japanese, Japanese toys, Japanese robots. He had an Antonio Inoki wrestling figure for only 20 bucks. We ended up buying some Super 7 muscles. You know, Super 7 is that toy company out of San Francisco. They have the rights to make muscles and they made them from the the Masters of the Universe characters. They had they had two packs. They were like blind bag two packs for five bucks each. We ended up getting three of those. Let's see. Let's see if I can remember off the top who I got. I got Evil Lynn and Beast Man. 
Triclops, um, the one who flies like a bird whose name's eluding me right now. I got Ram Man and also Fistor, I think. I was I was really pleased with these. We didn't open them until we left. If I would have known how dope they were, I would have I would have bought a lot more because I think they're I think they're pretty fun. They're on the same scale as the pink muscles from back in the day, but they are the masters of the universe character. They also had alien characters and they had something else, but I can't remember off the top what that was. There are a lot of comics at SatCon. I know you go, well, it's a comic con. Of course there's comics. That's not always the case. A lot of these things are, they're more like pop culture cons than than comic cons. They, you know, they specialize in like cosplay and movie stuff. It's cool, man. Whatever. I, I see that things are, things are passing me by as far as comic collecting, but SatCon SatCon has a lot of comics, and I dig that because when I go to a show, I like to um I like to flip through long boxes of comics and see what see what I can get up on. I I got up on a couple cool things. I got the I think it is Showcase number seventy two from nineteen sixty eight. It's the it's the first appearance of the Creeper. The Creeper is a character, a DC character that was invented by Steve Ditko. I imagine he lives in the the Batman universe. He's a good guy. It's not like he's a top-level dude. He's a lower mid-carter. I think his story is that during the day, he's a newscaster. At night, he becomes the Creeper. And the Creeper, he's all wacky. He has this wacky costume. He's, like, green with, like, these red, like, fabric tendrils coming out. He looks all goofy, and he acts zany and says goofy things. He's kind of kind of like what Deadpool would have been back in the day. And I don't I don't really see a lot of chance for a creeper resurgence because the the word creeper kind of means something different than it did than it did back in sixty eight. But he's a character I've always I've always kinda liked. I was able to pick this book up for twenty bucks. I was I was happy with that. I also I got a bunch of graphic novels. Um, when you go to these shows, there are always vendors who have tables with graphic novels for five bucks, and I will always get up on a few. I'm always always looking for good comics to read, so I got like four or five books. I got a couple G.I. Joe graphic novels. I got um, I got a, a Daredevil one, a Nick Fury one. Nick Fury, Agent of Nothing. I got that. I'm I'm looking forward to checking that out. And I got those, and I got this stuff, so we... We decided it's you know it's been a while. Let's go let's go back out and check out the Chris Claremont line. I told I told him I'm like I'm gonna go and I'm gonna get in the line. I'm like this is it. This is the time. This is the time for me to go and do it. I've been around. I've bought some stuff. It's it's time. So I go and I get in the back of the line. And this line is immense. It is immense. It's stretching for to infinity and beyond. So I I get in the line and I'm standing there and. I'm in it for a good, a good 45 minutes, and the thing is, during this 45 minutes, it hasn't moved a person. I'm not exaggerating to you at all. It sounds like I might be, but I'm not. The line has not moved one inch. I am standing in the exact same place that I was. So, I I thought, man, this is, this is whack. So, I got... I got out of the line. My knee was starting to give me trouble because I'm standing in the same place. You know, I'm kind of trying to shift my weight, but it's not going good. Like I said earlier, you gotta you gotta stay in motion. That's the that's the key. So I I abandoned line. I went back. I went back into the vendor room and I I, I met up with the with the squad and we 
We looked around some more. I found a guy who had a lot of vintage G.I. Joes, which you know, but you know I love, and I'm going through the Lucy ones, and I'm looking for a Snake Eyes. I'm looking for a 1982 Snake Eyes and a 1982 Scarlet. They are, they're the top on my list. I want those loose, and I'm looking around, and I, I flip through all of those, and I go through the bins, and I don't find one, so then I'm flipping through this bin of, they're like 90s, you know, 2000s G.I. Joes, like the 25th anniversary Joes and stuff. I like the old Joes, the 25th anniversary, they're cool, you know, I like, I like the old Joes, so I'm flipping through, and I, and I come across a carded, a carded mainframe. He was a, I'm thinking like, I don't know, 91, 90, something like that series Joe. He's the communications officer that supplanted good old Breaker from the, from the original team. Breaker, Breaker retired or whatever, and he got replaced by mainframe, who is also, also a com- computer nerd kind of, kind of deal. And I, I saw him on the card and it said only 25 bucks. And I, you know, I examine it. I'm like, this seems... This seems too good to be true. So I, I give it a pretty thorough exam over and I see that there's like a piece of tape on the front that's holding like where the the card, the card didn't rip, but like the the graphic started to come off of the card a little bit and somebody had taped it down. But the tape is yellowed. It looked like they did this like years ago and I don't even mind about something like that. That is like such a minor minor issue, and I'm going to hang it up on the wall anyway. There's no way I'll even be able to see that tape. And my collection's for me. It's to me, bring me enjoyment. And if I don't sweat the tape, then it's great. So I, I bought that, and I was like, I was super happy to get it. Anytime I can get a carded Joe, I'm pleased. And getting, um, getting one for like 25 bucks, I was so, I was so pleased. That was, that was my biggest score of the, of the day. And then, then after I, after I did that, I, I found a lady who had magazines, like tons and tons and tons of magazines, and I was able to, I was able to find 20 issues of Toy Fair magazine. Toy Fair magazine is like my favorite, my favorite magazine of all time. It's, you know, the, the action figure magazine from, um, the people who put out Wizard. I was able to get 20 issues of Wizard that, of Toy Fair, rather, that I didn't have for, for like only a dollar each. I thought that was, I thought that, I thought that that was great, and... I got that, and I'm like, okay, let's go, let's go back and check out the Chris Claremont lines. It's been, it's been like another hour. It has to, it has to have shortened by now. There are only so many people in the entirety, entirety of the con, you know? So I'm thinking like, it has to be, it has to be short. So we get back over there, and the line is like the same. It's like the same length. It's stretching forever. So I go, and I'm like, I want to find the guy that I was standing next to to see how, to see how far I would have moved along. So I find the guy that I was standing right next to in line and he's only moved up like, I don't know, 10 feet, 15 feet. I'm not even kidding. Like 10 or 15 feet. I'm like, this is, this is craziness. What's going on? I'm like, let's go. Let's kind of go back out. You could see where the people were signing. You could, you could see Chris Claremont signing and I go, let's go out there and just kind of, kind of spy a little bit and see see what's going on. So we get to the front of the line and he's signing, right? He's doing, he's doing his signatures and every book that comes out, he's like, he's commenting on the book and he's telling a story about the book. Now, this is really, really nice. That is really great. You're getting a super great experience. You're getting him telling you what he was thinking when he wrote this story. But at the same time, there were so many people in line that I can't even imagine that he's going to finish, you know, the con closes at five o'clock and it's already, it's already like three, 
3.30, maybe even 4. And I'm just like, these poor people will have come first thing in the morning, stood in line all day, missed the entire show, and they're not going to get the autograph. That was, that was just a bummer to me because that was really like the main reason that I've gone. We... We went to a SatCon, not the last one, but the one before last, and they had Jim Starlin as the guest. Jim Starlin's a legendary, legendary Marvel writer. He is the inventor of Thanos, the inventor of Star Fox. He is, he's a key figure in Marvel history. And when he was signing, he was signing for free as well. We just walked right up. There may have been like two or three people in front of us, but we were, we were in and out in a couple minutes. I... I expected the same thing this time because Chris Claremont is a bigger star than Jim Starlin, but it's not like, it's not like he's a thousand times the star, but this line was, it was so long and it was slow moving, man. I've never seen an autograph line move this slow. He was, he was giving everybody, it seemed like a 10 or 15, 20, 30 minute personal conversation. I was, I was impressed with his dedication but at the same time, I'm thinking, I would just want, I would just want my autograph. I waited all day. I'd want my autograph. Think about the poor people who just stayed in line the entire time. Woe is, woe is to them. But that is, that is the story. The story of what happened at SatCon. Let's move, let's move into the final segment of the show. This is historically known as the Toys R Us Report. Please drop by supportthereport.com and consider becoming a show patron for as low as a measly dollar a month. It's the right thing to do. You've made it this far. It's time. The final segment, your weekly toy shop update, the Toys R Us Report. It is me, Icy Robots, and we are back for the final segment of the show, the one in which we talk about, like, things I watched and things I got and things like, things like that, things I saw over at the toy store. Let's start off with, let's start off with something we've been doing lately. I've been, uh, I've been trying to get some iTunes reviews, and if you, if you want to help out the show, hop on over to iTunes and give us a review. Let people know that you like what we do, even, even if you don't, just let them let them think that you do. It's it's appreciated. If you do that, if you go to iTunes, you leave a review. It's I See Robots Radio. You go over there, leave us a review. I will, I'll read it on the air and I'll give you some, uh, I'll give you some props. Let's, let's start off with a couple. We got, we got two, two this time out. And this one is, this is a five-star review and I appreciate that. It's from, it's from our boy Sammy Delco. And let's, let's read this. Let's read it now. It's not easy to encapsulate the Toys R Us report in a single tidy review. At first, it seems merely an awesome collection of toy talk, movie reviews, and all things retro. Yet, the more you listen, the more it reveals itself to be so much more. The host, Icy Robots, that is me, somehow manages to weave disparate elements such as classic hip-hop and wrestling, radio-style drama, tales of space station altercations, and inter-robot politics, and a sincere appreciation for for bygone times, technology, and places. Some of my favorite segments have been his stories from The Dig, which at times rise above just being entertaining anecdotes of bargain hunting among the bins to become straight-up slices of cultural anthropology. ISR is a truly unique presence in the podcasting world, keeping things real in a way seldom seen. Whether his pop culture retro musings 
or his incredibly poignant first-hand account of the Northern California wildfires and their aftermath. Overall, the TRURPT is the kind of podcast that elevates your week, and I hope that you will give it a lesson. That is, that is also, that is also nice. I appreciate that, Sammy Delco. That's, that's super nice of you. Sammy Delco is a, he's a frequent contributor over at the, uh, over at the Facebook page. That's facebook.com backslash icrobots. He, he always gives us a thumbs up. Cool guy. I, I dig that. I dig a lot of what you said there. I'm glad that you liked the episodes about the fire. Those were, those were really cathartic to get it out. I, I appreciate that. That's, uh, it's all super nice stuff, man. I, this is, what can I say, man? Great. Thank you from the, thanks from the bottom. Let's, uh, let's get to the second review we got this week. And this one, this one's a bit different. Well, uh, We'll talk about this too. It said, why would you record this is the title. It's a one star review from the dude abides. Please, for the love of God, just stop what you're doing and reevaluate your life choices. Not even worth listening past the intro. Gross. So the dude abides. He's not a big fan, but at least he likes the intro. You know, he said not worth listening past the intro. So at least like that. I appreciate that. That's that's cool of you. I wish, uh, I wish though you would have left like a little more, a little more of a, um, maybe what you don't like in specifics. Cause I am always open to that too. If you want to tell me things you don't like, I'm more than willing to look into that as well and see, see what I can do to work on that. See how I can make it, um, something that you, you might enjoy a bit more. So I thank you guys from the bottom of my heart for that, for that cool feedback. If you want to, want to go over to iTunes, it's IC Robots Radio. I... I welcome any and all comeback. I prefer prefer the five stars, but you know what are you gonna do, man? Life is life is what it is. What's going on as of late? I got um I got some Star Wars guys. I got uh I got Bays and Chirut at Walmart. They were they were on a on sale on the clearance. They're they're the two Rogue One dudes that hang out with Jin Urso at the end. The one guy the one guy with the gun that looks like a um like an old style vacuum, old style canister vacuum, and then then the blind chap who who defeats guys with a bowcaster and a bow staff he he sticks to the bow i got them i i like them both i think they're both great characters and they are they're ones i've wanted to pick up for a while i just i just hadn't got around to it i saw them i think they were 7 dollars so i was i was happy to do that we were getting the the oil changed and i i dipped over to the toys and i i picked them up i'm very very pleased i want the i want the 3 and 3 quarter inch bb8 he comes as far as I know, he comes packed in in two ways. There is a set with Rose, and she's in her Imperial getup, and you get BB-8, and you get the evil, the evil black BB-8 from the from the Empire. And then I believe there's one where she comes packed with with um you know Ray Jakku Ray with the with the whole Jakku outfit. Uh that was you know that was the first movie, The Force Awakens. So. The the rose is part of the part of the last Jedi set as well as part of the the upcoming solo set. The solo figures have they have that in there as well as a um a Luke Skywalker, I think. And then they have a Qui-Gon Jinn two-pack with um with him fighting fighting Darth Maul. I I started seeing some of the solo figures. I said I saw them mostly at the show, but I have I have seen a couple over at the over at the store. I saw the who did I see? I saw Chewbacca at Target, and I saw a well. I saw that Rose, that Rose pack, the Skywalker pack, and the Qui Gon Jinn pack. I'm I'm looking to get my hands on Lando. I I like Donald Glover. I think Atlanta is great. I I don't mind Childish Gambino when he's 
when he's kicking a rap. I think he's I think he's a talented dude. I I want the Lando with him in it. But right now that's in a two pack with him and some sort of like an enemy guy with like a spear or like a spear blaster. I haven't seen the movie. I don't I don't know who he is, but I did I did eat some solo pancakes. We went to we went to Denny's. They have a special Han Solo solo menu for the movie right now. They're also they're selling collector cups and cards. I thought that I thought the cards came with your menu. You know, the if you order something off the Han Solo menu, I thought that you got the cards. I thought you got the drink cup too, but they were they were both separate, which led me to only to buy a cup. I bought the I bought the Lando cup. I thought it was I thought it was alright. It's a bit it's a bit on the janky side, but it's also all right. What did I what did I get? I ordered co-reactor pancakes. They were they're pancakes with like a sort of like a citrus uh citrus flavor on the top, a citrus syrup, and here's the kicker, right? They they came with pop rocks. They called them moon rocks or something like that. I don't remember what they call them. Uh, some sort of radioactive um enzyme, right? So you would take these and throw them on there pour the syrup on each bite and they would be popping when they went down. It sounds weird, but it was, it was actually pretty good. I, I like the syrup and the pop rocks were, you know, they're a fun diversion. I don't, I don't eat pop rocks on my food all that often. I'm not like, not like a big pancake guy overall, to be honest with you. I like pancakes enough. I think they're fine. I, I don't eat them all the time. I know some people love them and I don't, I definitely don't mind them, but they're not anything that I usually request. I'm just kind of a, Kind of a straight bacon and eggs kind of guy if I'm going to go out and have breakfast. I also like, I like having steak and eggs. We go somewhere and, you know, I'm in the in the mood for a steak. I might indulge in that. But the pancakes, they're a little sweet for my taste. They're definitely, you know, they're definitely good. They're just not like, I'm not a big bread guy. I do like a piece of toast or whatever, but I don't really go for the waffles so much. I don't really go for the, uh, it's a bit too filling for me, you know. I feel, I feel weighted down after having pancakes. But these co-reactor pancakes did the... They did the opposite. The the pop rocks, you know, they they elevated me up. They made me they made me feel light. They were fun. The the waitress at the place wasn't aware of the of the solo menu at all. We actually we actually called ahead because it's like not every place does everything and you want to make sure because it was like it was a drive all the way across town. So, you know, we called ahead and the wife's like, Hi, are you guys do you guys have the, the special haunt solo menu? And she's like, Nah man, we don't have that. And we decided that the person didn't sound like, they didn't sound like they were exactly on the ball. So we decided maybe we'll give it a shot. If you, if you listen to the guy, he sounded like a bit of a, you know, and um, the odds of him being incorrect are, are very high. And we decided to go anyway, right? We're just like, eh, we'll just go. We'll, we'll get something else. I'll get a, I'll get a club sandwich. That's something, that's something I enjoy. I'll, I'll get a sandwich. So we're like, we'll go anyway. And we went and they did in fact have the Han Solo menu, but they didn't seem like they had a lot of orders from it because we're, you know, we're asking for stuff and it wasn't, it wasn't like the most common thing. They were, you know, checking to make sure what came with it and stuff. It was new and I don't really think that, I don't really think there's been a lot of orders for uh, the Pop Rocks pancakes. They also had, they had like a burger and it had some kind of like spicy thing on it. That was, that was like the gimmick of the whole thing. It was, it was like spicy and it was red. I wonder, I wonder what's going to be red in Solo. I'm, I'm looking forward to that movie. I, I have high hopes. I think that it looks like a, it looks like they're robbing a train, I think. I try, I try not to pay too, too close attention to the trailers. I don't want to, I don't want to get spoilers. Trailers give so many spoilers nowadays, so I, 
I make sure not to look, you know, too closely, but I do think that I saw some sort of train heist or something. And that's cool, man. A heist movie in the Star Wars world. That definitely sounds like fun. What else is... What else is going on? Oh, I watched... Uh, I finally got through season two of Jessica Jones. I... I am a huge fan of the of the comic book world, Jessica Jones. I have been following this character since you know the days of Alias. I, I bought Alias number one when it first first came out. I this is one of my favorite characters. I like her. She's she's near and dear to my heart. You know, during my during my prime comic buying years, and this was this was like during the during the era when they just started Marvel Max. I was I was really I had a good job. I had a lot of disposable money, and I was buying tons of. Tons of comics, so I, I look back at this time, you know, it's real near and dear to my heart. And Alias was, Alias was one of the books that I was, like, way into. And I was, I was super stoked when they made the show. And I thought that the that the first season was great, but, um, I didn't like the second season as much. I don't know, it didn't have, it didn't have a great villain like the Purple Man. And I realized, like, the Purple Man is like a once-in-a-lifetime villain, you know, for a show. And that, that, um, they don't come around every day, you know. But I, eh, I didn't like it as much as I... As much as I wanted to, I didn't think that it was, I didn't think it was bad by any stretch. I, I made it all the way through with no problems. I didn't, didn't think it was whack, but you know, it wasn't like the best, the best series that I've ever seen. I, I hate to be negative. I don't like to say things that could be hurtful, but, um, I don't, I don't really like Kristen Ritter as Jessica Jones very much. I've, I've said this before. She's, she's one of my least favorite actresses. She's, one and two, her her and Mae Whitman. I don't know. I I don't like her portrayal of Jessica Jones in the show. She's she's very much uh the best word that comes to mind and I you know, I don't like being negative about stuff, but the character is, you know, it's a bit pathetic and she's a bit bitter. Bitter is the defining trait that I would describe to the T V Jessica Jones and it's not necessarily the number one thing that I would say about the comic book Jessica Jones that I like that I like so much. She's she's a lot like the one in the show, but the the one in the show is like she's just bitterness, and I don't I don't see comic Jessica just being bitter bitter about everything. She's angry about things, she's upset about things, she's depressed, but she doesn't have like that bitterness that uh, Kristen Ritter exudes. She's a good actress. She's pretty good. Her portrayal of Jessica Jones really resonates with a lot of people. I know a lot of people like it. So she's definitely doing something right. It doesn't just doesn't resonate with me as a as a longtime longtime comic fan. But again, I'm not the one that they're aiming for. They're aiming for like a whole a bigger a whole bigger TV audience. And people love the show, so hey man, they're doing stuff right. But didn't think the second season was as fun as the first season. Well I wouldn't call the first season fun. I don't think it was as good as the first. Entertaining as good I don't know, something like that. It wasn't wasn't whatever it was to the first one. But still, though, I mean, yeah, meh, I don't know. What else? What else is popping off? I'm still still digging Black Lightning. I I like that part at the beginning that they, the rap that they use where he's like, Last night I saw a superhero. He was black. He said, this is for the street. Black Lightning's back. At the start of every every break after the commercial. And I'm always like, that's pretty cool. I wonder, I wonder, did he say, the kid saying, you know, he saw Black Lightning and Black Lightning said, this one's for the street. And then he said, Black Lightning's back. Now, did Black Lightning say, hey kid, this one's for the streets, Black Lightning's back. Or did the kid say, Black Lightning's back. Like he goes, yo, this one's for the streets. And the kid goes, Black Lightning's back. I don't know. 
could go either way. I think I'm think I'm going more toward the more toward the kid saying that Black Lightning was bad. Black Lightning's bad. I like the idea of some kid. You know, he's he's super excited. He's just seen Black Lightning zap some criminal, and he's like, Black Lightning's back. Not only did he see Black Lightning, that would be dope because he operates in the shadows. He's out there at night. Not everybody even gets to like, not everybody even gets like a glimpse of the dude. And this kid sees him. Not only does he see him, but Black Lightning looks at him and goes, this one's for the streets. And then he's like, Black Lightning's back! I think it went down like that, except for, except for the applause. I'm not sure that that took place. I don't know how many other people were there when the kid saw Black Lightning if... If the dude truly operates out of the, uh, the shadowy night, I wouldn't imagine that there's a crowd, but maybe, you know, maybe something was going on. Maybe there's a rally. Maybe where people doing stuff. Maybe a baseball game just got out. I don't know. I don't. I need the rapper to, um, I need him to specify a bit. MC, please speak on this a bit if you, um, if you happen to hear this episode. I'm just curious your thoughts and your process. Let's, uh, let's see what else is, what else is going on. I, I got the... I got the final issue of Jessica Jones that is going to be written by the creator of the character, Brian Michael Bendis. We talked about, we talked about Jessica Jones uh, a while ago. Bendis, of course, is, he's taking his uh, comic career over to, over to DC Comics. He is going to, he's going to be writing Superman. He wrote a story in Superman 1000, which, which just came out. And that's, you know, that's a huge accomplishment. Superman 1000, 1000. A thousand issues of one thing. That's that's tremendous. He wrote a story there, and then he's going to be he's going to be taking over the title after a while. He's going to do like a a four or six issue mini series where he's gonna I don't know he's going to change some stuff up. He's going to do some stuff, and then then he might start. Well, he is going to start writing the writing the title full time. I think that's cool. I'll. I'll give that a shot. I didn't get the Action 1000. It was $7.99. My man Chris told me that. This is Chris from over at uh, Comics for the Win. He told me that. I'm just like, what the flip, man? That is, that's a lot of grip for a comic. So I didn't get it. But back to, back to Jessica Jones. He dropped the final issue of Jessica Jones before he heads over to DC. I haven't, I haven't had the chance to read it yet. It's sitting on my it's sitting on my stack. I I want to. I am hesitant. You know, it's the it's the end of a era. I've been reading this for forever since it started back in the day. I said that earlier. I've already. I should attack this on when we were talking about Jessica Jones earlier. But um, I had a bit a bit of comic talk, I guess, and that's that's separate from the from the TV talk in the in the final arc. The Purple Man returns in the comics. The Purple Man didn't die like in the in the TV show. And he returns, but he comes to Jessica and he's like, Jessica, please, you have to help me. I realize that I realize I've been doing wrong all along. I realize that I, I have the power to save the world and I want you I want you to help me. You're the you're the only person I can trust. You're the only person to ever escape from my clutches. You're the only person I can trust. Please help me do whatever it takes to try to make the world a better place. And I'm not going to give anything away, but it's it's interesting to say the least where this goes. And I'm looking forward to reading the final issue, but it's it's hard to say goodbye. It's hard to let go. And I'm not anxious to, um, to do that. I never can say goodbye. No. 
can say goodbye. Another another comic that I read just hit a just hit a milestone that is the comic of Daredevil. It just hit episode issue rather issue rather 600. That's that's pretty dope too. 600's a big number. I've been I've been into this one for a while too. During my during my peak comic days was when Kevin Smith jumped on and he started revitalizing Daredevil and I've been I've been on board ever since. I've gone through that. I went through Bendis. I went through Brubaker. I've went through Mark Wade. I've been I've been reading this for years and 600 was that's a nice milestone. I've had this idea in the back of my head that maybe maybe it would be fun to try to collect every every issue of Daredevil. There's some there's some heavy ones in there, and you got Daredevil one that was going to cost you like six to eight hundred bucks minimum. You got a lot of first appearances, Stiltman, the Owl. I have, I have a lot of early Daredevils. I I kind of pick them up whenever I see one, and whenever I see a Daredevil of an early number, I grab it. I I don't know. Maybe I've been planning this in in the back of my head for a while, but I think it might be fun to get one each of the 600 issues of Daredevil. A lot of them you're going to be able to get, you're going to be able to get from like common boxes, like quarter boxes, dollar boxes, flea markets, you know, the key issues are going to cost you, but it's not going to be an impossible task. It's something, it's something I've been considering. So you may hear more about that in the future. In the, in the current story arc, it's kind of, it's kind of fun. The, the kingpin has become the mayor of New York and he has, He's sent the entire power of the police force, the SWAT team, all those guys with one mission. That mission captured Daredevil. So Daredevil's on the run trying to get away from, you know, trying to get away from the law. It's good. He knows it's crooked law. He knows who the Kingpin is, but the people are kind of behind the Kingpin. They think that, they think it's kind of cool. You know how sometimes people, sometimes people think gangsters are kind of cool. They think that the Kingpin's cool. He did win the election fair and square. He's the mayor, but um, you know, they don't know. They don't know the extent to which he is. He is a scumball. There's some there's some good conflict there because Daredevil knows he's right. He knows that the Kingpin is wrong, but the the side that's wrong is in control. So in a sense, the wrong is right. Up is down, down is up, left is right, rotten is fresh. I don't know. It is it is what it is. That's a that's a good one. I was talking to Chris when I was over at the at Comics for the Win. That's where that's where I pick up my books here in town. And I was I was talking to Chris. It was just me and him in the store. It was it was early on a Thursday, and I said, "Hey, man, I'm just curious. What book do you order the most of on a monthly basis? Like, which one do you expect to sell the most of?" And he said. Oh, oh, no question there. The number one book that I order month in and month out is Sonic the Hedgehog. He said that Sonic the Hedgehog sells more than any other book. He said that he has books that have more subscribers. I think he said Saga has the most subscribers. It was either it was either that or The Walking Dead. And he said that Sonic has, you know, a decent amount of subscribers, but it gets picked up. People just come in and they go, oh, Sonic. And they grab the Sonic. Kids come in, they go... Look, it's Sonic while they're, you know, while their dad or mom is getting their books and they they grab the Sonic for themselves. He said they sell so many non-subscriber Sonics. It's not even funny. He said that they sell they sell a ton. I'm really intrigued by that. I I know that at 1.2.0 was massively into Sonic. She would play Sonic games, watch Sonic cartoons. She read that Sonic comic. She she had like three shelves 
full of Sonic action figures. She would order them online, get weird variants and stuff with her with her money. She's not so much into Sonic as much as she was. She still she still digs the Hedgehog, but I knew the character was popular because of that. But um, that's interesting, man. Out of all the things in the comic store that I have that have forms in other media, you know, you got like. Superhero movies, superhero TV shows, superhero video games. These all have comics. They're like wrestling comics. There are there are comics about G.I. Joe's toys, Transformers, which are also toys. And the thing that the thing that people go for the most is is Sonic the Hedgehog. I mean, that's cool, man. I guess I guess Sonic has a lot of uh, a lot of history. I've never been like, massively into Sonic games. My bro had a Sega, and we would play it, and it's alright, it's fine. I, I prefer Mario of the two. I'm, you know, not like a Mario addict, but I do, I do definitely recognize, like, growing up, I played a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of Super Mario Bros. and stuff. I've played a lot of Mario games, Super Smash Bros., all, all sorts of Mario games, and I've only really ever played, like, a couple, like, a couple Sonic games. I don't really like the ring sound. I don't like that sound when it gets the rings. It's, it's a little irritating to me, and to be honest, video game music is sort of irritating to me. When I play games at home, you know, if I'm using, like, the PlayStation 3 or the PlayStation 2 or the PlayStation, I will, I'll usually turn the volume down and listen to, like, listen to podcasts, something, listen to, like, listen to Diary of an Arcade Employee, I'll listen to, um, I'll listen to Earl Green, listen to some good old Doug McCoy with crazy, creepy, cool movies, listen to... Many of the Zerbinator Land podcasts. I'll go ahead and listen to back episodes of the Mr. Sensational Gino Vega podcast. I'll listen to all sorts of stuff. But, um, I just don't, I don't go for video game music. I don't know, man. Even the sound effects and stuff, they all, they all get on my nerves a bit. If I'm playing, like, a role-playing game, I'll still do the same thing. And I end up, I feel like I end up missing a lot of the story because I don't want to talk to the characters. Just, I just want to, um, I just want to shoot them, I guess. I'm not... Not the best nor the deepest video gamer that there is. There is in the world of video games. I don't know, man. I like arcade games. So let's see what's going on around here. I've I've kind of you know beat around the bush and mentioned that um you know I'm dealing with the after effects of a family member's surgery and I'm on nurse patrol 24/7. It wasn't a major surgery by any means, but it is a mobility reducing surgery so you know I'm here just like doing what I have to do and I cannot guarantee that there will be an episode next week I am going to do my best and you're probably saying well this episode's like an hour and 20 minutes you know why were you able to get this one out and not one next week the deal with that is I've had two weeks to work on this you know we had the we had the this boring life about Illinois and then we had the audio handbook of the Marvel Universe with the Immortal Iron Fist. So I had two weeks in which to kind of chip away at this. And with a one-week deadline, I'm not really that sure. I'm going to do my best. I I feel like I should be able to get something out that is short. I want to talk about... I want to talk about Infinity War. So I may... I will try. I will try my best. If not, there's going to be a classic episode repost in this place. Man, I... You know, I'm on nurse duty. It's rough. It's rough taking care of somebody, doing... Doing everything that they need, being at their beck and call. It's not, it's not for the faint-hearted. I have nothing but respect for nurses. I have so much respect for people who do this all the time. I, I give it up to you. I don't know if you heard me, heard me pounding my chest. I was pounding my heart 
for all those people out there. You know, I have noticed when I post an episode of the audio handbook of the Marvel Universe that it in no way gets the amount of listens that a, uh, that a Toys R Us reports get. And is it that, is it that you guys don't like the show? You can let me know. You can let me know what I could do to improve the show. Or is it you want a Toys R Us report? So when you get one of these, it's a bit of a letdown. Just let me know. Let me know what you think of that show and what I can do to improve it. Maybe it's just you guys don't really care about comic book characters all that much. I don't know. You tuned in expecting toys. You wind up having to uh, listen to 20 minutes about the immortal Iron Fist in the city of Kung Lun. I don't know. Might not be what you wanted. I have a hard time reading the room at that point. So I am going to get up out of here. So until next time, this is me. I see robots signing off. This is the Toys R Us Report, episode number 151. It was about SACCON. So until we speak again, if you don't know, now you know. KBHK TV 44, San Francisco, Oakland, San Jose, Bay Area Cable 12. This has been I See Robots Radio production. I See Robots Radio is a listener-supported in day R. If you like what we do and we make your day a little easier, please consider tossing a few bucks our way to help keep the life support running. All money collected goes to help us prepare for future space pirate attacks. Go on over to supportthereport.com for all the details. Thanks and have a great week. Everybody love everybody!